All right, welcome to another edition of College Football Pack. We are going to be recapping week five in college football. As always, I'm your host, Patrick Kahn. Uh, with me, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers Wire. Uh, check out his work each and every day. Uh, Tyler, there was a lot going on this weekend when you look at the games, the games that mattered. Uh, you know, it was interesting because we wanted to see how USC and Colorado look, especially after how Colorado looked the week prior. Uh, but the big game of the week, and obviously it was the big game of the week because the college game day hosted in Durham. When you talk about Notre Dame against the the Duke Blue Devils, and this was a game that we thought would be a defensive slugfest, and, and ultimately with 35 combined points, uh, that's what we got. When, when you look at it early on, there were struggles with the Duke offense. Uh, they were able to kind of take the lead late, and then obviously they, they end up losing this game. But I have to say, even with what was going on offensively with Duke, I was really impressed with the, their ability to keep this game close, despite the fact that their offense missed field goals, interceptions, uh, and, and they were still able to keep this close until late in that game. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. I think both defenses were lights out in this game. Um, you know, Notre Dame especially, obviously, you know, shut, we're shutting them out until pretty late in the game. But, I mean, give credit to Notre Dame. That defense – did about as good a job slowing down Sam Hartman and company as Ohio State did. And I think we both are of the impression that Ohio State's defense is maybe the best in the whole country. So, I mean, it's a frustrating loss for Duke. I, I still think it was encouraging, though, in a lot of ways because of how, you know, how much you hung with a team that's more talented than you. Um, I think, you know, we talked about last week, this was an important game for Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman, you know, with the way they lost to Ohio State last week, the, the opportunity they squandered. They really couldn't afford to lose this game. Uh, obviously, it looked like they were going to at one point. They pulled it out, though, with that drive at the end. I mean, you, you know, I, I think it's encouraging, you know, for both sides how well the defense is played. And, and, you know, I think for Duke, they just couldn't quite pull up long enough, which is okay. I think it, it's frustrating because I think this looks like a team that could maybe be the best in the ACC. Um you know, the sort of question moving forward, obviously, is, is right at the end of the game there. Riley Leonard suffered what, you know, looked like a not great, uh, potentially like an ankle injury, um, had to you know be helped off, was on crutches at the end of the game. So that's a really concerning sight. You know, he's a big part of what they do, and that might be a limiting factor to watch moving forward. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and that more than anything with a quarterback like Riley Leonard, an injury, an ankle injury, hurts what he does best. And if you look at it, he's more oftentimes than not the leading rusher for the Duke Blue Devils. So that's going to hurt him tremendously, uh, the offense tremendously. But I think the big takeaway that we have from this game uh, is I, I think Duke is really good. And, you know, this wasn't an ACC game, so they're still right in there, you know, undefeated in ACC play. So they still have an opportunity uh, to climb the ranks and get into the ACC title picture, uh, which is not really taking shape at this point. If you look at, you know, the standings in the ACC and uh, with with obviously Louisville at the top, Florida State, you got North Carolina Duke, Virginia Tech, um, all sitting with an undefeated record in conference play. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how this picture unfolds as the week goes on. You know, another game, which was the anti- Notre Dame and, and Duke game. When we talk about LSU, Ole Miss, uh, defense optional in this game. Uh, I think it, I believe the over in this game combined over a hundred points or, or relatively close to it. 
there there was no defense in this game, and and I was actually shocked that LSU because I trusted their offense more that they didn't win this football game. Yeah, um, you know, we kind of thought, you know, last week against Arkansas was maybe the canary in the coal mine when it comes to this defense for LSU. Um, turns out it was. This group has a lot of problems. Um, you know, Ole Miss is good, obviously, an explosive team. Not really any excuse for giving up 706 yards of offense to an SEC opponent, you know. Um, credit to Ole Miss, though. I mean, Jackson Dart, a guy that's had a pretty up-and-down career in Oxford, I thought was probably the most complete game of his career, certainly his career at Ole Miss. Um, and, you know, we talked about it last week. You know, Lane Kiffin squandered an opportunity to win a big game. This was a big one. You know, you beat a top 15 team at home. You stormed the field. It was a, a huge, I think, momentum win for the program. Um, and now looking forward, you know, they're a part of an SEC West race that might be wide open. You know, Alabama still looks, you know, competent, maybe still the best team in the division. You know, maybe A&M's in that mix. LSU still not out of it. Um, it's interesting, you know, looking at the West, just how wide open it could be. But we just, I feel like LSU just, it's a lot, it's, it's really concerning, I think. You know, this is not the team that I think most of us thought it would be um, in year two under Brian Kelly, you know. You just get torched in this game defensively, a defense that wasn't bad last year. Um, you know, you've had to rely on the portal pretty heavily back to back off seasons. It worked out pretty well for you in 2022. Doesn't seem to be working out as well this time around. I mean, you know, Ole Miss had struggled to run the ball to this point on the year. They kind of woke up in this game. You know, Quinchon Judkins went for like 177. Uh, just really concerning, you know, and I look at LSU, I think they might still beat Alabama. Like I think that's a decent matchup for this team, but also they could lose at Missouri next week. That's a dangerous offense. So, I I mean, it's clear that this team is not going to compete for a playoff spot or anything like that this year, which I think is disappointing considering you're in the process of getting a Heisman caliber season from Jaden Daniels. Yeah, you saw a over a combined 1,300 yards of offense in this game. Uh, the two quarterbacks combining, you know, passing offenses over 800 yards. This felt like an old school Big 12 uh, a game, you know, uh, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, uh, very much. Uh, Texas Tech, you know, I, you know, obviously I'm using Texas Tech because of the air raid offense and how much, you know, yards they put up. That That's what this game felt like. Uh, it was nice to see Quinshawn Judkins, who really hadn't done much this year, um, but he he was able to put it together, and like you said, against a defense that has a lot of problems, and, and I have a lot of questions about because the front seven is not what I expected to be uh, the strong suit for LSU, but they were, and we all know about the back end issues. But in this game, it was the entire defense really that was a problem. I mean, when when two offenses are averaging eight yards uh, per play, uh, that's very concerning. But you, but you're right when you look at the SEC West race. No team is out of it at this point, this early on. But right now it is Alabama's uh, just because, you know, they have beaten Ole Miss and now Ole Miss has beaten LSU. And in early November, LSU will get the opportunity to play Alabama and maybe jump back into this race. Um, There was another team, another game that had offensive explosion, Tyler. We're talking about USC Colorado. At one point, this game was 37-7 to USC. And... The Alex Grinch special, their defense absolutely falls apart in this game. Yeah, I'm going to just, you know, enjoy my victory lap here for a minute. Clairvoyant on my part. Uh, No other way to describe it. Got the backdoor bold prediction in there right at the end. I said Colorado would keep it within a touchdown. Was looking pretty dumb uh, for most of the game on that prediction, but they 
got it right at the end. And I'm, I'm certainly going to brag on that one, but I mean, yeah, I think Colorado, first of all, you know, you held up a lot better in this game, you know, obviously not the challenge that USC, I mean, sorry, that Oregon was um, up front. And that was pretty apparent from the success they were able to have offensively in this game, you know, Shador much better uh, able to do a lot more, had a lot more time. I mean, you said it though, this Alex Grinch defense, you know, we didn't, we knew it was, it was a problem. We knew it was the limiting factor, but it's, it's a real limiting factor, I think, for this for this team. I mean, it doesn't look like a team to me that that can win the Pac-12 or compete for a playoff spot um, just because of the way they play defense. You know, someone's going to get them. If Colorado can get them within seven, you look at that schedule, they've got teams that are going to challenge them and teams that are more talented than Colorado is. Um, uh, these are issues that were present on this team last year. We've seen them, you know, in pretty much every game to this point on the year. I think it's pretty obvious that something needs to change defensively if USC is going to take any sort of leap this year. Yeah, and I, I do want to correct myself. It was thirty-four to seven at one point, um, and then ultimately forty-one to fourteen in this game before Colorado jumps back in. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. I mean, just look at their upcoming schedule this weekend. They're going to have to play Arizona. Uh, they got Notre Dame, who's a really good defense. You got Utah, who's had their number the last several years, uh, and, and then obviously in, in November. Uh, they got matchups against Washington and Oregon in back-to-back weeks. And I will say this. I think Oregon looks like the most complete team uh, in the Pac-12, just what we've seen so far. And and we'll find out more about Oregon as they really get into the teeth of that schedule. But, yeah, when you look at this team, USC, I don't see a playoff team uh, just because of that defense. And, and just the disheartening thing is the offense was able to do whatever they wanted in this game until about midway through the third quarter, and it just it stifled, it shut down, and it almost cost them in this game. So USC has plenty of questions, but most of it is Alex Grinch, and it makes you wonder, does Alex Grinch have something on Lincoln Riley? Because based on that performance, he shouldn't have a job as a defensive coordinator at the Power 5 level, especially at USC, a team that looks like they were poised to make a run this year. And they haven't lost the game yet, but that's that's definitely going to hurt them. Now, we're looking at Texas and Oklahoma, and I, uh, I'm sorry, we'll get Texas and Oklahoma in a minute. Let's talk about the number one team in the country, Georgia, against Auburn in the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Uh, this game, I didn't feel, based on how Auburn has played offense this year, should, should be relatively close. And the fact that this was a tie ball game late in this one, uh, that's really concerning to me just because I just don't see it. Uh, with Auburn, as far as their offense is concerned, uh, if Georgia has to go up against a legit offense who can put up points this year, uh, I feel like they're going to be – they might be in a little bit of trouble uh, if they're not able to – if that defense isn't able to hold up for them. Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, <clears throat> like I, neither of us thought this was going to be that competitive of a game. Uh, really surprising. I think, you know, first of all, credit to Auburn defensively, I thought was really, really good, um, at least for, you know, the first half and, 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 you know, a lot of the third quarter, you know, really held up well, forced a couple turnovers, uh, you know, took advantage of those mistakes from Georgia, really just a, a, a good game plan. I thought, um, you know, offensively Auburn's really limited. Uh, that didn't change in this game. You know, Peyton Thorne did some things with his legs, but that passing attack just is not it right now. Um, and we'll see if that can maybe change as the season goes on and further into Hugh Freeze's tenure. But I mean, to me, it, it was, it was concerning, you know, I think, when we've talked about Georgia in the past, I feel like I've, I've been kind of moderating with my take on it because I think that, I mean, this is just Georgia's MO is to kind of struggle against teams and not, 
you know, look absolutely dominant uh, when it doesn't need to. But I will say this was concerning. You know, this was a real game. This was a game that it was not, it didn't feel like, okay, Georgia's just playing with their food. They'll, they'll come back and take this one. It felt like there was a real chance they could have lost this game. You know, things were kind of spiraling for them at one point. And I think it's concerning because like you said, you know, a lot's been talked about this schedule, you know, being weak relative to the SEC for Georgia, but it's not like they don't play anybody. I mean, they've got a Kentucky team that looks like it might be kind of dangerous. They've got Ole Miss who can maybe score at will. I mean, that's a game that I think could really test this team. Like, I, I, I don't know what to make of Georgia right now. I mean, it's still probably the most complete team in the SEC, I would say. But I mean, I, I mean, are you with me? Like, it seems like this just is not quite the dominant team it's been. No, that's really my biggest concern. And you look against this game against Auburn, they give up 219 yards rushing uh, to Peyton Thorne and, you know, Jarquez Hunter and and that slew of running backs that they do have there on the plains. Uh, you know, that's concerning. But, but also the fact that they're about to go up against a, a Kentucky team with Ray Davis, who kind of just ran at will uh, last week. And he's shown his ability to be a good running back from his time at Vanderbilt and now at Kentucky. So, you know, they're going to have – I think this will be a struggle. And, and, you know, Devin Leary is a guy who – I've been a little bit down on him because of the turnover numbers, but he looks much better in that game against Florida, who I think we both agreed has a much better defense than many had thought. Uh, but but I think that he can, he can do some things in that game. So, yeah, it, it is concerning, especially heading into this. And this is a really big SEC East matchup between Kentucky – uh, and Georgia. The great thing is it's between the hedges and Athens, so that'll help them a little bit. Uh, but now let's talk about Texas and Oklahoma. Both teams took care of business this last week as they head into their uh, Red River rivalry matchup this coming weekend. Uh, the scripts looked very similar in, in these games. They, it was close early. Both teams pulled away. Big wins. Texas 40-14 to over Kansas. Oklahoma won 50-20 to over Iowa State. And I, I feel like this is going to be a great matchup, and it might be a preview to the Big 12 championship based on how these two teams have played. Oklahoma looks tremendously different from last year. Already at 5-0, and they finished 6-7 and last year. Uh, Texas hasn't had that early loss or that letdown yet, and I don't think a let it, letdown is going to come against Oklahoma because we know they've all been gearing up for this one. Uh, and, and we know Oklahoma wants some revenge because they lost four, this game 49 to nothing last year, but they did not have. Uh, Dylan Gabriel under center. Yeah. So, you know, starting with Texas, um, you know, solid, looked competent against a team that I think people thought could be a little sneaky in that game. Um, you know, sort of not having Jalen Daniels, you know, the quarterback, he was a late scratch um, in that game, didn't play. Jason Bean, who's seen a lot of action over the last two years for Kansas, uh, got the start. That kind of took the wind out of their sails a little bit. I mean, I think you know, we talked about in the podcast last week, I was I was interested to see if Kansas could maybe test that defense a little bit with what they would do with Jalen Daniels. Seems like he had some back issues, uh, maybe re-aggravating what bothered him uh, last year, which is concerning. You know, hopefully he's okay moving forward. But yeah, I mean, Texas, you know, did their job. Look, we wondered how this team would replace Bijan Robinson. It looks like they might have their answer. You know, Jonathan Brooks went for what, 218? Yeah, 218 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, he was really, really good. They've got their next great running back, it seems. Um, I think, you know, they. you could make an argument that Texas is the most impressive team in the country right now. I mean, I think you really could. Alabama, 
I think everyone's a little higher on them than they were a couple weeks ago. Um, that win looking a little bit even more impressive than it did at the time, or at least you know the couple weeks that followed. Um, you know, really sets up an interesting game next week against an Oklahoma team that, like you said, looks to be much improved under Brent Venables. I think we entered this year wondering if we could maybe see an early exit from that job. I don't think that's happening. You know, they look pretty competent, um, certainly defensively, which was where we had the most questions. But their offense, too, with Dylan Gabriel, you know, has been explosive at times, maybe a little bit inconsistent, but looked really good last week, you know, against an Iowa State team that, Granted, you know, pretty ravaged by suspensions due to the, the gambling stuff, um, you know, missing some key guys there, not quite a team that's at full strength right now, but, you know, still an impressive win, kind of pulled away late um, to pretty impressive final score. But, yeah, I think it sets up a really interesting matchup, you know, in, in Dallas next week. Uh, you know, I'm really interested to see. I think Texas is the better team, but Oklahoma's taken a lot of strides, and I think it's going to be probably the most significant Red River River game we've seen in a long time. You know, when I look at this game, and I agree with a lot of the points that you're making, the one thing that I will say is while Oklahoma has looked much improved, I still haven't seen this defense really get tested. I mean, Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa, Cincinnati, Iowa State. Not something to write home about. Uh, This is a legit test for Brent Venables against the Texas team, who I think a lot of people right now, I mean, I know we've talked about it, college football playoff team. They're that that caliber right now. Uh, so this is going to tell us a lot this week. So this will be a really interesting game to pay attention to as a big test. And obviously the Texas off uh, defense will get tested uh, this week with, with the way that Dylan Gabriel runs that offense. So ultimately, you know, great game. And I'm kind of glad that these are both undefeated top 15 teams because uh, it's just going to make this game that much better uh, on the Texas State Fairgrounds this weekend, 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, And then we had Tennessee, who got their revenge against a South Carolina team. But I will tell you this, the um, comments of Spencer Rattler postgame made me chuckle. He said this was their Super Bowl, which is interesting to me. I'm going to say this, uh, Spencer Rattler, South Carolina. uh, This seems like a go-to answer for a lot of fan bases, players, etc. When they want to downplay a loss, you got your butt kicked. Just take it on the chin and move on. Yeah, I mean, you know, strange post-game cope aside. I, I mean, pretty frustrating game for South Carolina, I thought. I mean, you know, Tennessee defensively was really, really good in this game. I think the main reason people saw this as a potential up, you know, game to watch on upset watch was was the fact that, you know, South Carolina's offense had looked pretty impressive so far. You know, Spencer Rather had a nice start of the year. Spencer Rattler looked pretty rattled um, in this game, I thought, though. You know, they got a lot of pressure on him for some mistakes. Uh, so, so good job for Tennessee's front, a front that I think we had some questions about after Florida ran all over them. Um, you know, just sort of their toughness in both trenches, I thought. Um, looked a lot better in this game, though. They were able to run the ball with Jalen Wright. You know, that wasn't an issue. Much bigger issue against Florida, who... We'll see. I mean, I don't know what to make of that team defensively. You know, uh, Florida, Tennessee could not run on them. uh, And and we thought they were looking pretty good until Ray Davis, you know, went and had a career day against that group. I I really don't know what to make of that unit right now. And because of that, I don't really know what to make of Tennessee right now. You know, looked a lot better this week, but we still, I think, have some, some questions. Like Joe Milton threw two interceptions. He's, I think, proven to be a bit more turnover prone and mistake prone than Hendon Hooker was. And this passing offense just isn't quite as explosive. I mean, it has that potential. Like we saw them hit some big plays. They can do it. 
they're just not doing it as consistently as they have been. I still just, I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to say this is a team that's built to compete with a Georgia or an Alabama or, you know, even maybe like an LSU caliber team in the conference. I'm not sure if they're there yet. It feels like a week to week with these teams. We talk about Florida and the way that they played Tennessee and South Carolina, but you're absolutely right. Like Rattler threw a pick six in this game, sacked six times, really couldn't get anything going in that Tennessee team and those middle cores, the second, third quarter, able to build that, you know, the 31 to 10 lead. Ultimately, it felt like they were putting that game away. Uh, you know, South Carolina was able to get a couple of scores, you know, in the third and fourth quarter to make it a little bit closer. But this game wasn't close at all, just with the way it played out. And yeah, it's, it's, it feels like a week to week thing when we talk about some of these teams. Uh, speaking of some of these teams getting back on track. Clemson finally got back on track with a win over Syracuse. Now, this is uh, one I took on the chin, and I'm going to own up to it. I said that Clemson was going to lose this week to Syracuse, and that couldn't have been farther from the truth as as the Clemson Tigers took care of business. Yeah, I'm tentatively buying Clemson, I think. You know, I talked about this last week. In spite of the loss, I really thought they played well against Florida State. I mean, that was a frustrating game to lose because I thought they really – turned in a very complete performance in that game. Um, certainly their most on the year to that point. Sort of carried that into this week, though, I thought. Um, did a good job. You know, Kate Klubnick is, is is really, I think, developing nicely. I think he had a bit of a rough start in that Duke game, although it wasn't that bad. I mean, he wasn't the reason they lost that game. Um, and he's, I think, been playing a lot better since then. I, you know, still a guy that's only started, what, five, six college football games. So, you know, I think he's going to get better. I think Clemson's going to continue to get better. You know, defensively looked pretty good against a Syracuse team that isn't like, you know, one of the best offenses in the ACC, but can kind of do some things, you know, with Garrett Schrader, I think a guy that we thought might have some success in that game really didn't. They kind of held that game in control for most of it. So I think encouraging for Clemson. I'm, I'm, you know, we'll see what the ceiling looks like. You know, they've still got to play like Notre Dame. So Decent chance you're still looking at a three, maybe even four loss team, but I think they're going to continue to improve as the season goes on. I don't think you're seeing like the collapse of the Dabo Sweeney era this season. Yeah, and and they're going to go up against a Wake Forest team this coming week that uh, they're a little bit down after losing Sam Hartman, and they haven't looked the same this year. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you know with the way Clemson's playing, and and I feel like. Klubnik and and Riley Garrett Riley are starting to build that rapport together, and you're seeing it with the offense. Uh, by far, this was I think this was Kate Klubnik's best game uh, at the collegiate level, uh, just all around being able to run the football, throw the football. Um, he uh, some of those passes that he threw in this game, I think, were some of the best of his career. So you really have to like what they got, and and they can just build on this and hopefully try to get back in that ACC title race. Uh, now we talked, we, you mentioned them a little bit earlier in the show, talking about Texas A&M, uh, they were able to get past an Arkansas team who, you know, pushed LSU to the limit, but, uh, Texas A&M, even though they lose their starting quarterback, they go with Max Johnson. It really didn't look like much of a drop off at Jerry world as, as they took care of Arkansas, uh, in Arlington, Texas this weekend. Yeah, you know, want to talk about another team I may be tentatively buying. Um, you know, A&M looks pretty good. You know, managed the Wegman injury. Uh, I thought Max Johnson was was fine. You know, didn't do anything insane, but but managed the game, did a decent job. Um, you know, I think 
no one really wants to say it, but I think I think we might be. You know, we all talked about what role is Bobby Petrino playing on this team. We don't really know, but it seems like it's helped. I mean, right? This seems like an improved offense so far. Haven't really faced a, a super tough test yet. They will next week, though, uh, when they go to face Alabama. You know, that defense that defense is gonna is gonna give them some issues uh, potentially. So, really interested to see. But you know, I thought they did pretty well, you know, managing, you know, especially with the, the emotions of the quarterback uh, situation this week, you know, I, defensively, they looked really good. I mean, Arkansas struggled. They got Rocket Sanders back in this game. It didn't really matter. I think LSU's defense may just be pretty bad. Arkansas has some issues, you know, they've now lost three in a row. I think that might not be trending in a very good direction for Sam Pittman, but um, yeah, I mean, looking at Texas A&M, I think I'm interested. I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, what they can do when they go play Alabama next week. I, I'm not saying I'm picking them right now. You know, we'll see what what how I feel when we talk again in a couple of days. But I'm interested. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, Jimbo. Yeah, and they, they kind of got a little bit of everything in this game where you talk about Anaya Smith with a punt return touchdown. Uh, you know, Mac Johnson did enough in this game to uh, to get them to win. The only really bad thing that he did was throws that through that pick six. Uh, but yeah, but you know, ultimately A and M was able to do what they want, and I have to say that front seven for A and M looks really good. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how they play uh, as we move forward into SEC play. And like you said earlier, they're still they're still in this race as well. So you know, the SEC West is is looking up like it could be a really great run. Um, they haven't had that game uh, yet where you, you questioned. I mean, the loss to Miami. Uh, raise some eyebrows with the way Miami's played this year, 4-0, and and we'll see how they look as they get into ACC play uh, this week. But let's talk about a team with the choke of the year. Uh, Central Florida leading this game late in the fourth or late in the second half. You go into the fourth quarter. Baylor Bears scored 29 points to win this game. I mean, I was absolutely shocked because we haven't seen anything like this from that Baylor offense. And, and they did get some contributions from the defense as well with uh, Caden Jenkins with the, with a uh, fumble recovery touchdown to get within a score. But really, when you look at this, I mean, I don't know how you lose this football game with that lead that they had going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, we'll see if it, if it maintains choke of the year status, but I think it's going to be pretty hard to top. Uh, I mean, just really bad, you know, UCF, led this game 35 to seven uh, in the third quarter, 35 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. I mean, just unbelievable to give this game away uh, to a Baylor team that was had really been struggling, you know, in their defense, um, you know, Blake shape and their starting quarterback got hurt in the Texas state game. This was his first game back. So they were playing with a backup quarterback that was certainly limiting things a little bit. Uh, I don't think that is the whole story though. I mean, I'm not sure this is just a completely different team with Blake shape but you know, credit to Baylor, you know, interested to see if maybe Dave Aranda can, can do something and salvage the rest of this season, but really frustrating for UCF, you know, your home big 12 debut, uh, big opportunity to get a nice win, you know, in your uh, big 12 opener last week, went on the road, lost to a, a solid uh, Kansas state team. That was a tough draw to start things off. Big opportunity this week squandered a uh, tough loss for Gus Malzahn, really no other way to say it. Yeah, it was it was tough. Uh, it was nice to see Richard Reese kind of get his feet going again uh, after that breakout year he had for him last year. Uh, you know, it's interesting is Monterey Baldwin, wide receiver from Baylor, is really the only 
wide receiver who really did much in this game because it was interesting to see that Blake Shapin really only had one guy to go to, uh, Monterey Baldwin. He was the only guy with more than 26 yards receiving in this game. Uh, he scores, you know, one of the touchdowns there in that fourth quarter to really get them going. But yeah, absolutely. You just look at UCF and it, it was, it was horrendous, hard to watch at times. And, and they're going to have to get back big, get back to it and, and shore up some of that defense. But there's no reason looking at the Baylor offense and the way that they played this year that they should have been even close uh, that late in the game. Uh, now, we did last week, we talked temperature check, um, and that's what we're going to talk here. Houston failed their temperature check miserably. Uh, looking in this game, it was close near halftime. It was only a 35-28 game as they played Texas Tech in Lubbock. Uh, but Texas Tech absolutely shut down that offense in the second half. Matter of fact, the last time that Houston scored was two minutes, 16 seconds left in the second quarter. Never scored again as Texas Tech ran run away with that game, 49-28 to beat Houston for the sixth straight time. Dan Holgerson still looking for that first win against Texas Tech. Didn't happen. And as we talked about last week, Tyler, this was a game they had to win. They had to beat Texas Tech. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's tough for Houston because I think there were some positive, you know, signs in this game. I think there were things to be optimistic about. You know, it was a tight game for a lot of it. But Donovan Smith, you saw something out of him, right, against his former team. Maybe that was a revenge game kind of thing. I don't know. But, you, you know, you saw something. You saw some signs of life, but you still end up losing this game and it's not really close and you're now two and three on the year, like, I, I just I don't really see this getting better. You know, this is going to be probably a team in the six to seven win range at best. When you look at, you know, they've got some winnable games down the stretch on the schedule, but there's some tough games too. Like they're going to lose some more. It's just hard to imagine they that they really have the kind of year that makes anyone feel good about where we're heading under Dana Holgerson. We don't. We don't, and which goes to my next point. How much longer does Dana Holgerson have in Houston? It feels like he's the coach with the hottest seat right now, and it doesn't get better because on Thursday night in Houston, West Virginia, his old team, Neil Brown coming to town, and let's talk about West Virginia, uh, one of the most improved teams. They're looking really good. Neil Brown doesn't look like he's going anywhere right now. Uh, it could be Neil Brown that gives it to the former West Virginia coach, Thursday night uh, because this West Virginia defense is really slowing people down. They're doing enough offensively to win games, but then they've got to play Texas, Kansas state, and then Baylor in November. So for Houston, these next four weeks are going to be really tough. And, and that's why when I look at how long does Dana have get, if, if we're setting the number at four weeks, I'm taking the under. Yeah, that uh, West Virginia Houston game is just dripping with narrative. I mean, that, I mean, look, you know, obviously the whole deal with Dana leaving West Virginia to go to Houston in the first place, you know, now a guy in Neil Brown, who I think entered the year on probably the hottest seat in at the, maybe the country, certainly the Big 12, sort of coaching his way off that, you know, after they beat TCU last week, they're three and one, all of a sudden kind of look like a team that's dangerous, maybe outperforming the talent on the roster. So that's encouraging against a Houston team that is not doing that. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't exactly know what the, what, how much pressure's on Dana right now. I mean, I, I looked, it, it looks like his buyout, if they wanted to fire him before the end of the season would be somewhere in the neighborhood around like $15 million, um, which is not, you know, a, it's not 
chump change, but it's also not an absurd amount of money for, you know, what the amount of money that this program has. I mean, it's a wealthy program in one of the biggest cities in America. So I think that's not an insurmountable thing here. I just, it's hard for me to see this getting better. And I look at Dana and I think he's just not a guy that's really built in the the modern archetype of, you know, what you're looking for in a coach. You know, he's, he's an air raid guy, you know, that's sort of falling out of favor or at least, you know, uh, you know, the schemer coach offensive mind, you know, everyone in Texas wants the guy that's going to go in and, and run the portal and recruit well, you know, those, those big high schools in the state of Texas. I don't know if that's Dana and there's guys out there they could get that would do that for them. He, he, he needs to show something or else I think he's going to be in trouble. Yeah. It's, it's not going to get any better. Um, and, and we'll look back at this uh, Thursday uh, as that game is going to be huge Thursday night. I, I it, you know, a few weeks ago, I thought this is the game where Dana could stick it to his old employer, West Virginia, and maybe be the knockout punch for West Virginia. But it turns out it might be the other way around, and Neil Brown going to be the one uh, to knock out the former West Virginia coach. Um, if it's if it's embarrassing, they they need a close game, and I know last week I said it's must win, but now their backs are against the wall, and we're going to find out if what Dana has as this game gets it draws near. But here's another game in our final game that we're going to talk about. It was your temperature check, Tyler. Uh, so why don't you lay it, lay it out for us with the uh, Pitt Virginia tech game from Saturday. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Pitt falls 38, 21 uh, against Virginia tech. Both those teams enter the game one and three Pitt is now one and four, just bad. They're just not a good football team. Um, you know, Hard to believe this is a program that's two years removed from winning the ACC because it really just doesn't look like it right now. You know, they've lost some really bad games, um, you know, lost to Cincinnati, lost to West Virginia. I just it's hard to find any sense of optimism. I mean, maybe they can get some ACC wins down the stretch. There's some the bottom of this conference is pretty bad. I don't know if Pitt occupies the very floor, like the, the very bottom floor of this conference. But this is not a good team, you know. And I've talked a lot about it. Just offensively, it's not good, you know. And you've got an offensive coordinator in Frank Signetti. He came from Boston College. He's got his quarterback in Phil Dracovic, you know, a guy that was good under him at Boston College. This just isn't working. You know, what they're trying to do is not working. And this is a Virginia Tech team that really hasn't looked competent at all against Power 5 competition at, at any point, either this season or last. Uh, and you made them look it. You know, this game was honestly final score was a little closer than it even really uh, was. You know, Virginia Tech was up twenty eight to seven at one point. You know, Pitt came back, sort of brought it within a touchdown, but they still pulled away at the end. It just, you know, encouraging for VT, not the end all be all for Brent Pry, who I think is still struggling, but a good start. Just really bad for Pitt, a game that you just should not be losing, especially for a guy that is apparently in the mix for the Michigan State job. You know, people keep bringing Narduzzi's name up there, obviously a former defensive coordinator with the Spartans, but you're going to hire him coming off this? Like, really? It's tough. I mean, the Virginia Tech Hokies were able to run the ball at will uh, with Bayshul Tootin and the quarterback Kyron Jones, who had two rushing touchdowns in this game, another three through the air. And then you look at Pitt, just absolutely can't run the football, can't throw the football. So it makes you wonder, like, where do they go from here? But they've got to figure something out, um, you know, especially for as much as, as the head football coach there. Uh, Pat Narduzzi wants to be talking, uh, especially about, you know, last year it was like USC and Lincoln Riley and these people coming to get in their guys. 
Uh, you can't be talking that much and then go throw out a stinker against one of the worst teams in the Power Five, talking about Virginia Tech, who's a relatively young team. But, you know, this is a building block for Virginia Tech, and with Pitt, uh, it just might be back to the drawing board for them. Yeah, and, and by the way, Narduzzi did the same thing, I believe, this offseason with the Dion stuff. You know, mm-hmm. came at, you know, it was critical of the the way they've used the portal to build. Hey, man, maybe you should take, you know, some notes from that because this team could definitely use some some talent influx from the portal. Um, just, just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at all. Uh, but that's going to do it for this edition of the College 12-Pack. We're going to be back later this week as we get you ready for week six, including the Texas OU uh, throw down there uh, on the Texas State Fairgrounds. But for Tyler and Patrick, we'll see you.